You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. Bill Crane is with us today for Crane's Corner. And look, Bill, here's the thing I've never been able to get straight about this whole thing, uh, is that we've got a situation where people three years ago were in the streets saying that police needed more training, that uh, the George Floyd thing was a horrible thing, and we want to make sure this doesn't happen in our community. And if it does, we want to know that the people have been trained uh, appropriately. We had this police training center that had gone into disrepair. That's what the piece of land had been used for in the past. Then uh, we come up with this new idea of a police training center that's not only for police, but is for firefighters and all kinds of other first responders. You'd think people would be happy about that. Well, I would submit to you that the majority of people in the city of Atlanta still would welcome the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center and the funding that's being offered by the Atlanta Police Foundation. you got two things going on. Now, I will acknowledge that public sentiment has shifted in the 18 months that primarily the activists from not even just outside of Atlanta, but outside the state, in some cases outside the country, very cleverly came up with a, a snappy bumper sticker of a slogan, Stop Cop City. And they present their argument that it's tearing down a pristine forest. It's not. It was the Atlanta Prison Farm before it was a firing range, before it was burned center training center for the fire department uh they talk about uh, old growth forests being all over the site there's old growth timber but it's in the middle of a 3,000 acre forest and we're talking about 180 acres that have already been well disturbed they discuss the belief that it's going to militarize police in atlanta and elsewhere that's not going to happen it's been expressly prohibited not to bring things like tanks onto the training grounds even though those are in some cases as we saw in racial justice protests with the national guard being deployed there are instances in civil unrest where heavy armaments will be deployed, but not by the police department. And they also ask that no helicopter, strangely, be able to, to land or depart from there, which is odd, again, because sometimes you need to move police and fire personnel pretty quickly, and the air is the quickest way to do it. But there's been a lot of concessions made by Mayor Andre Dickens, the, the community advisory committee that he appointed, the one before that. A large group of African-American ministers, including Andrew Young, have come out in favor of the of the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center, and I believe the petition effort that is winding down and running out of days is going to fall woefully short, even though they claim 100,000 signatures. A lot of those are going to be tossed out, and they're not going to be Atlanta residents. A better trained police officer or a better trained fire uh, department official is a better trained police officer or a fireman, and I say fireman, fire person. Uh, That's not really in dispute. There's a belief that that's not what's going to go on there, and if you have any conversations with the activists, they would almost tell you that all police about are treating and locking up, are mistreating and locking up people of color, which again okay. and that, is not Okay, that, and there's no evidence. First of all, most of the people in the police department and the fire department are people of color. Okay. Including almost all the command structure, <laughs> excluding right. the current chief of police. And that's, a, he's an anomaly. I mean, in a big yeah. city. I mean, come on. That's, you know, it's one of those things. And, and that the people... You see, I mean, you're going to laugh, but all you got to do is watch these cop shows on Friday nights and you see that most police forces, whether you're talking about Border Patrol, police, uh, fire, whatever, 
it looks like America. That's the phrase, right, that everybody wants to use. It looks like America. Okay, it's not a bunch of white guys going into there and and wreaking havoc. Billy clubs and guns. No, it's not. And and a lot of a significant percentage in Atlanta and a lot of the departments in the southeast are also former military. So they come out of the military at 10 years or 15 years or they don't go back for another tour. And law enforcement is a logical career transition for them. It's a different field. It's a different environment. There aren't enemy combatants out there. But that, again, contributes somewhat to the misnomer or the belief that it's a bunch of jarheads that are going to come in and crackheads, and they're not. No. And, you know, if you look at minority communities, overwhelmingly, they want safer streets. They're the people that are dealing with the most crime. Okay. Yeah, they're the first to suffer when we pull back on law enforcement. Absolutely. I'll never forget. Now, granted, this was in, in um, Milwaukee when when George Floyd was happening. Um, and uh, there was a, a black lady who was videotaping these two girls that clearly came from out of the neighborhood. Okay. Which is kind of like what we've had here with the police training center. These girls were tearing up this Starbucks and she's asking, what are you doing? And these girls go, we're helping you. She goes, you're not helping me because you're going to go back to your neighborhood and I'm going to be and left I'm here with be this here in mess. A food desert with no that's, right. that's right. And so that's exactly what this police training center protest looked like. Most of the people, if not, you know, well over half of the people that have been arrested don't even have a vote in Atlanta. You know, much less. And what bothers me the most about this whole process is this has been going on for 18 months. There's been an election in between where people have been reelected, even though they supported the police training system. So either we believe in a representative government or we don't. Everything can't be by petition. We're not Ross Perot where you want to have a town. Yeah. Everything can't be done by petition. That's not the that's not a representative democracy. Well, I believe this public safety training center will be built. I and do. it also includes a lot of green space and uh, a training center that's going to be aimed in a lot of ways at social justice types of training in addition to standard police training. There are nine regional police academies in the state. And- Atlanta is the largest police force. And there's a Georgia public safety trainer, training center in Forsyth for state officers to be trained. But we still don't have enough capacity, and we have shortages all across the state. And you have to put people through academy to make them sworn officers. So it's, it's it makes complete sense but that's it it's going to remain controversial until these folks who are protesting realize things like this 61 people being charged the cost of coming here and instigating is too high or they move on to another target in minneapolis they tried to do away with the police department i know everybody everybody can't fly even though it feels like it when you go to hartsfield but if you've flown to new york and back or you've flown anywhere coming into atlanta what you see is, is that basically from Baltimore to Boston, it's very little green space uh, along the coast. You fly into Atlanta, and it is amazing how much green space there still is in the city of Atlanta, in the greater metro area of Atlanta. This is among not among the trees a, grows a city. That's right. This is not a city that tears down green space. I mean, there's no evidence. There's no evidence to support that, and that's the other part of it that bugs me. Well, in that the, there are a few outlets that have sort of reported it honestly, but they keep talking about this pristine old hardwood forest. It is surrounded by that, 3,000 acres of a nature preserve that reaches all the way over 
to have read the amounts in the South Cacao, but this this parcel is a subset of what was a prison farm for decades, where they <laughs> grew funny. the food that in, on cultivated land and cultivated crops that fed in jails and prisons across the metropolitan area and part of North of Georgia for almost 50 years. I'm not saying that it was the best setup that was more or less indentured and people were, you know, chain gangs, et cetera, but that's, that's what it was. And then more recently and up through today, it's a firing range that's not covered and is not underground like the new one will be. And also a burn range and the existing facilities for the city of Atlanta's police and fire departments for training are atrocious. One is in a condemned school building where these instigators have also thrown firebombs. I mean, we don't get a lot of talk about the damage done, but there have been officers injured, cars burnt up, police officers' vehicles, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of construction equipment on the site, and multiple businesses vandalized in support of supposedly ringing back the police. So we've got about three minutes left in this segment, and I wanted to ask you about Fulton County Jail. When are the Fulton County are, are the first of all the residents of Fulton County going to be told the truth that they're going to have to spend the money to re, to rebuild that jail, and when is the Fulton County Commission going to have the guts to tell that truth? The first question: Sheriff Pat Labatt, who um, and the sheriff, three sheriffs prior to him, have been stating the realities of the inmates sleeping on the floors and the bars that you can get you know, the the holding cells that you can get out of with. A sharp implement, in some cases, of our soap uh, for years. The problem is, is all of Fulton County municipalized, all but about 8% of the county is now cities as well as unincorporated area. Um, the tax base for Fulton County, the entire, you know, they don't have their own police department anymore. They still have the sheriff's office. Um, fire is in multiple jurisdictions, not served by the Fulton County Fire Department. And, and the resulting smaller tax base does make it a little difficult without a rather large bond float to pay for what is estimated to be a $2 billion new jail. It, again, it'll happen, but it, if those elected officials and we're coming into an even-numbered election year where they got to face the voters again, I expect in 25 or 27, if they haven't already done the funding, someone will float a bond issue, a special election. Now, do these, the cities, the money. do these cities send their people to Fulton County Jail? All or do they, have, oh, yeah. yes, all well, of them. Then, 16 couldn't that be done and, with a SPLOST? Could it be done with a SPLOST? And then they it all could agree be, on it? It could, but they they'd all have to agree on it. Yeah, I mean, have, you seen, yeah. have you seen all of the 16 municipalities in Fulton County agree on anything? Now, I will no, give no. Michael Thurman credit in the cab. He did a few years back, got a 13 municipality agreement on a split of the SPLOS proceeds for infrastructure and city halls and all that sort of stuff. And and he went around and you know was personally involved in that appeal. I don't see Rob Pitts doing that. I tell you what, Michael Thurman is underused in this state. And, you know, I know he's a Democrat, but I'd have to look at him hard if he ran again for something statewide. I wouldn't be surprised if that were to happen. <laughs> Me neither. Bill Crane, thank you so much. If people want to know more about what you're doing, how can they do that? Uh, check out my column, among other things, on Access WDUN under the staff blogs. And uh, if you really are curious, you can just Google Bill Crane, CSI Crane, and you'll see a whole bunch. Absolutely. Good and bad. Videos. Just like when you, it's always dangerous when oh, you Google yeah. yourself. Yeah, I, don't, I don't screen in or try to pull the stuff <laughs> out. But. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. It is the Martha Zoller Show, and uh, Rod Huey's here with me today. Good morning. Good morning. And Attorney General Chris Carr is here, too. And we welcome you, Chris. How are you? Good morning, Martha. I'm doing great. Hope you are, too. 
So tell us about the 61 indicted in Fulton County. Yeah, well, so this is a case, Mars, I know it's been going on for a while and it's, it's attracted a lot of national attention, but this is a, a case about folks that have been tr- uh, doing all that they can to stop the building of the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center, a state-of-the-art facility uh, that will train uh, first responders, firefighters, uh, as well as law enforcement officers. And uh, we allege in our indictment that these individuals try to do stop the building of this facility in two different ways. One, by occupying the land that the training center is going to be built on, and two, engaging in acts of violence or supporting either one of those activities. And, again, we've identified 225 different acts, uh, 61 individuals, that we contend uh, participated uh, in this activity. Uh, and, again, th- this case is about acts of violence, Martha. You know, it's one thing to disagree with the building of this facility. It's one thing to stand on a street corner and hold signs or, or disagree. And I'll support your right to do that. Uh, but when you start throwing Molotov cocktails at police uh, cars and police officers, throw rocks and bottles, when you start lighting construction vehicles on fire, shooting police officers or terrorizing individuals just because they dared to sign a contract to help build this facility. Well, uh, in, in Georgia, we call that domestic terrorism. We've charged them also with racketeering, uh, attempted arson, and money laundering, and we're not going to look the other way. So where did you have to file these charges? Well, we ended up filing in uh, Fulton County because when you when you file under the RICO Act in Georgia, you can file in any county where uh, an act occurred, and, and we chose to file in Fulton County. Well, there's a lot going on in Fulton County right now. <laughs> there, there is. No doubt so about what, it. So what is this prosecution going to look like? Well, we, you know, we've laid it out, and we're not, I don't want to get into the strategy of the sure, case. Sure, of course but, not. You know, again, again, at the end of the day, you know, Martha, I'm just going to say, I, I don't know how we've ever gotten to where we are. Uh, we're literally talking about a public safety training facility that pejoratively has been called Cop City. But this is about firefighters and EMTs and police officers, and, and, and we need well-trained firefighters, and we need well-trained EMTs, and yes, we need well-trained police officers as well. I just remind everybody, coming out of the social justice unrest in 2020, uh, you had folks on the far left saying defund the police. And by the way, the folks that are supporting the uh, acts of, of, of stopping this facility are now advocating for the abolition of the police, I'll just point out. But folks were saying defund the police, which was crazy. But almost universally, people agreed we need well-trained officers because it's not just about the folks that put the uniform on. It's about keeping communities safe. And so Atlanta did, I'll, I'll argue, what Atlanta has done many times with difficult um, with difficult situations, and that's they came, came together to solve the problem. The law enforcement community, the business community, the public sector all came together and said, Let, let's put together a state-of-the-art facility. And that's what they've done. And it's one thing if you disagree with it, but some have chosen to engage in acts of violence well, and, the, and we're and not going to tolerate it. And the point is they put it in a place where it had been for years. It just had gotten into disrepair. It is a part of a, I mean, it is the most wonderful thing in the world. It is true that when you come into Atlanta, there's still a lot of green space. For a city our size, we've got green space. But the piece of property they're talking about here was already a police training center. It had just gone into disrepair. So this this property was developed. We not only had it voted on, and there's been an election in between where people could have voted people out and gotten a different outcome, but didn't do that. Um, so it's like, do you do you expect to vote for certain things and have them happen? 
or not. And I just think that it's it, and it's a lot of people that are from not even from Georgia, not even from Atlanta that are getting involved in that. Hey, Chris, well, I, yeah. Hey, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm sitting here I'm and I'm good. listening to this, and I have two questions that immediately jump out at me. One, why did this? Why did this jump off as a as such a bad thing? And what happened? Where you were? Was it trying to take over more land from uh, the people that live there, the residents, or what? What made it jump off? And two, I'm sure it's second shift that's doing all the fighting, the knocking out windows, the fighting, and uh, with the cocktails and all of that. What I mean, second shift, the real protesters are in the first shift. They come in, protest peacefully, and go home. Second shift, yeah, well, they come in, and they're not even from here. Yeah, well, to, to answer your first question, again, it, it's, a, it's a group of folks that, as we've alleged, you've got anarchists, you've got anti-police, uh, and you've got folks that uh, are what they will call uh, eco-justice war, environmental justice warriors, when they all kind of found the same uh, uh, goal of, of stopping this facility. But, again, how did he get this uh, to this point? I, I'll never understand that, really at the end of the day, but we do know that for two years they were allowed to live in the woods in and around this facility, and and, and it's just unfortunate, but it is what it is, and, and some have chosen, again, to engage in acts of violence. But that's the difference. Again, there have been people that have been protesting and arguing over this for, for quite some time. Martha, to your point, I mean, this thing has been debated and discussed and voted on over and over again. It's been part of campaigns. It's been part of elections. It's been part of city council meetings. It's been voted on. There has been more public input on this than pretty much any other issue I can think of, uh, you know, since I've been in Atlanta. So, and there are those. I mean, there have been protests down at Little Five Points. There have been protests at uh, Centennial Park, City Hall, all around the country. And those are, that are using words, uh, that's what's constitutionally protected. That's fine. But violence is not speech. Peaceful protest is what's protected by the Constitution, not violence. Everything that we've alleged in this indictment goes back to violent acts occupying the 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 the, uh, the uh, land where this facility is going to be put, or supporting that. So again, I, I don't disagree. Anybody has. We all have a First Amendment right to peacefully protest, but peacefully protest well and you, you can't interfere right you can't interfere with people doing their jobs you can't interfere with people who have duly signed legal contracts you can't do that i mean if we don't have rule of law you know that we don't have anything if we don't have the ability to be able to have this kind of peaceful peaceful protest but where you're gonna like glue yourself to the ground or whatever it is that they do that's just ridiculous and um you know, I hope you're successful in this. Do you, what do you think the timeline will be? Because, you know, Fulton County's got a lot going on. Um, what do you think the timeline's going to be? Well, it, it, it's tough to say the process is going to play out, but obviously we're, we feel very good about the case. We're just going to continue to move forward. Uh, and, and what the timeline is, we'll just have to see. Has it quieted down? I mean, are there still protests going on, or are the, is the work going on without problems? Do you know? Well, the work is going on, unfortunately, again, because the goal here, again, is, is, is to get that training center built. That is going – most people in Atlanta want this training center p- built, contrary to what some other folks are saying. And, again, it's a shame that, that some have taken the route of engaging in violence rather than continuing to, to use their voice. Uh, but it is being built. Uh, I can't – there are still protests 
uh, both pe- there's peaceful protests that's going on, and there unfortunately still are uh, acts of violence that are occurring, which again we'll, we're paying attention to and we'll address as well. But Martha, I think the important thing again, we're not going to look the other way when violence occurs in this state. We'll defend the right to peacefully protest, but the second you start, you know, throwing rocks through windows and throwing Molotov cocktails and lighting construction vehicles on fire, that's a whole different situation. Well, and I appreciate how I appreciate how you, the governor, and the mayor, and other people, um, the CEO of DeKalb County, that y'all have worked together with a common message against this kind of violent protest and. Uh, I think that's been helpful because it shows that it's bipartisan. It shows that it's not what we'll stand for in Georgia. And it shows that we know how to work together on the important stuff. I agree. And, and again, I think it shows the strength of our state. The other thing, too, that I think is important is today it's about a public safety training center in Atlanta, Georgia. But if we don't stand up for the rule of law, if we don't stand up and say this type of violent activity uh, can't be allowed to occur, uh, tomorrow, it could be an economic development project in Tennessee or an individual that somebody disagrees with in Nebraska or whatever it may be, because this was the blueprint. And again, remember that the autonomous zone, the CHAZ, that was created in Seattle, uh, the, the, the area around the, the federal courthouse in Portland, this is kind of the same model that these folks were using. In fact, they had a sign at the, at the uh, forest saying, you are now leaving the USA. I mean, this is the, you know, this, this belief in... Uh, you know, the government is illegitimate and, and, and that type of thing. The rule of law doesn't matter. Well, this is kind of the, the blueprint and the model that they're using. But in Georgia, we're saying, no, uh, we will defend your right to peacefully protest. But the second it turns violent, we're going to hold you accountable. Chris Carr, we appreciate you being with us today. Thank you for everything you do. Thanks, Martha. Great to talk to y'all. Take Thank care. you. Putting the talk in news talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. We're having a ball, and and we're going to even have more fun because we're talking to George Franklin, who has written a political satire called A Feeding Frenzy in Washington. And uh, I am looking forward to talking to you, George, because you've been a lobbyist and a businessman, but a candidate, as have I, ran for Congress in 2012. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. So tell me about your run for Congress first. Well, wait, I have to first, in the interest of domestic tranquility, my wife, Molly Dye, who was chief of staff to Paul Coverdale, insisted that I start this out by telling you how much she enjoys your show. Oh, thank you very much. And I loved Paul. I mean, Paul was a great guy. Yeah, she was with him in the state Senate and throughout his whole U.S. Senate career. So uh, anyway, she I promised her I would start off by telling you that she just loves her show. Oh, thank you very much. So tell me tell me about your run for Congress. Okay, I ran in the Democrat primary in Michigan in 2018. I found out that if you come in second out of six, it doesn't work. (laughs) Um, and as you know, it, it's an excruciating, exhausting undertaking. And I, I will tell you, I have the most respect for anybody, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, I don't care that gets in the arena. It is, it is taxing. It is difficult. It's fulfilling though. As you know, Martha, I mean, you do it because you believe in some things and you try to make a difference. Uh, but it's a grind, and um, I learned a lot. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I'm done with it, and uh, 
now I'm enjoying just writing some books and having some fun with the whole political system. Well, and I want to ask you a question about the primary process, because I was in a Republican primary and I went to a runoff. And yes, that's right. Coming in second doesn't actually work. Um, and right. um, but we have the the reason why primaries came about was because they didn't want to, quote, have the smoke filled rooms deciding who the candidates were going to be. Right. And right. what we've ended up with is a primary system that tends to um put in the 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 far right or far left of the parties instead of what we used to get which was you know and which was somebody that was a little more electable and i just wonder what you thought about the primary process i i i totally agree with you and what it has done is skewed both parties right or left which you know whatever whatever your politics are but it it skews it to the extremes and um you know, the other thing is all these elections have become national elections. Um, it, it used to matter whether you were in the Rotary Club and involved in the community and active with different entities. And, and it's becoming less and less so and more of national campaigns on national issues, which I don't, I don't know is necessarily healthy. Uh, you know, I know you pride this station and your show on a, a sort of a community format and serving a community. And um, I, I think that was a healthy part of being a member of Congress was it was more local, less national, but that's all been lost. And it's now national campaigns and people are trying to get in front of, uh, you know, Fox news and CNN and, and, you know, making it all a, a national issue. So what led you to write a feeding frenzy in Washington? Oh, I'm having a lot of fun with this. You know, I was the uh, head of government affairs for Kellogg Company for years. What a great job. Oh, my God. Like, that sounds like a great job. It was a great job. I loved it. And uh, it's a great company. I think the world of it, you know, I I poke a little fun at it in the book, but it's all good natured. And um, but I used to get a kick out of watching the whole world of Washington and the the, sort of the activities that went on around lobbyists and um, throughout the book there's a thread of reality and the the narrative it's 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 you know far-fetched and it's about a bunch of food lobbyists and there's a guy named pj snake boots jackson who's the lead lobbyist and he's from georgia uh, and then i've got a congresswoman from georgia from Demarest named barb bream um, and then one of the main characters is a expert fisherman from Dillard named Rod McDonald. And, um, you know, people wondered all this Georgia connection. Well, actually, my family goes, my whole family's from Augusta. Uh, and uh, so I've, I've been been in and around Georgia my whole life. And uh, my dad graduated from the University of Georgia Law School in 1934. He is now in the great law firm in the sky. But uh, he always had some great stories about Georgia and politics. And so Anyways, it, it's a good-natured um, satire. Uh, it's bipartisan. Uh, I have a congresswoman named Lucy Sprout, who some people might say, well, that reminds them of a certain congresswoman from New York, <laughs> or it might remind them of a certain senator from Massachusetts, uh-huh. or she might just be a nutcase from California. This is where she's from. But, but well, we, we've got them all in there, and... Um, I start, I start off by talking about um, 
there's a guy running for office in North Florida. And uh, I had the uh, opportunity to work in the Florida Senate between college and law school. And I'll never forget, there was a group of conservative Democrats who were called the Pork Chop Gang. And <laughs> the Pork Chop Gang, God save us. Uh, and they, uh, they, they were wheeling, dealing, bunches scoundrels if I'd ever seen them in my life. So I start off talking about the pork chop gang and it's a, it's just fun, zany kind of Carl Hyacin, Christopher Buckley kind of book. Well, you got to laugh or you'll cry about what's happening right now, right? Absolutely. You know, I, I said, let's all stand back and lighten up and, you know, laugh a little bit here. Uh, it's, you know, this, the Republic will somehow survive. It's survived all these years. Um, sometimes we wonder how it, how it does survive. You'll probably think that after you read the book, but it, uh, it, uh, we'll, we'll do okay. We'll do okay. Well, you have some other books. We're talking to George Franklin, and one of them is Raisin Bran and Other Serial Wars. I love that. Yeah, I wanted yep. to know about I that. I know. Yeah. I know. We'll ask him. <laughs> so you think you want to run well, for that, Congress, and then Incentives, The Holy Water of Free Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. And the first book it was um, Raisin Bran and Other Serial Wars. Like I said, I was the vice president of Worldwide Government Affairs at Kellogg Company. And I worked with a lot of really smart people that had MBAs and fancy degrees from all sorts of schools. But I realized the one aspect of the company they didn't have any clue about at all was government relations. So I, I called the dean of the business school, and I asked her, I said, do you teach government relations? And she said, well, no, that's, that's political science. And I said, well, every major company in the United States has a government relations department, just like sales, finance, and marketing. But business schools just pretend like it doesn't exist. Um, and it, it, was, it was, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a book that tells people what lobbyists really do as opposed to what they think they do. Yeah, so I tell you, I, I tell you what, up. I'm a big um, fair tax person, and yeah. um, it, when I ran for Congress and when I got to the runoff is when I started getting the pressure from the lobbyists that, oh, I know you've got to say you're for the fair tax because that's the way your constituents are, but you right. know that's never going to fly up here and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, it is interesting to me because if I had my life to do over again, George, I would get a job in an office on tax policy and as a staffer, and then I would okay. I would be a lobbyist on tax policy because you, you can go. make a lot of money doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, but but you know the other thing, Mark, is there's this you know there's the image of the lobbyists, you know, they're wheeling dealing scoundrels, and you know I get it, and um, actually the, my my lead character in a feeding frenzy, you know, has all those sort of traits that everybody expects, but. The reality of a good lobbyist is they have to be trustworthy, candid, and believable. Because you can pull a fast one one time on a politician, but then you're out of business. Yep. If, if they don't trust you anymore, you're done. Well, and I will so, tell you, too, that a lobbyist is kind of a subject matter expert. And if you use them, because yeah. you can't know everything about everything. And so that's the Absolutely. way I think is the best way to use a lobbyist is as a subject matter expert. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, you know, and I, I, I remember I would go in and, you know, you have to be straightforward on the politics. You have to say, you know, these people are going to like you and these people aren't going to like you. 
which is true on every issue, right? There's somebody on the other side. Um, but, you know, you're an advocate. And, in fact, the guys at Kellogg, the sales team, they used to tell me, they'd say, hell, Franklin, you, you should be in the sales force. That's what you are. You're a salesman. And, you know, they're right. That, that's what you are. You're a salesperson for your company or the issues you're advocating. George Franklin, it is so great to talk to you and say hi to Molly and tell her thank you so much for her kind words. Okay. And um, A Feeding Frenzy in Washington is the book. And if people want to know more about you, how can they do that? Uh, they can go to georgefranklinauthor.com. And uh, the book goes on sale on the 15th. And uh, if you want some good laughs and, like I said, a bipartisan look at Washington in a fun, fun way, by Feeding Frenzy in Washington, georgefranklinauthor.com. Thank you so much for being with us today. We'll have you on again. Hey, I'd love to. Take Thank care. You. Bye-bye. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com, and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.